we've been talking about hope in this conversation and um, we're going down through Hebrews chapter 11. We started two weeks ago uh, with um, in Hebrews chapter 10 to give a little bit of context. And then we moved into chapter 11. Mark Mason was with you last week. Um, a friend of ours from way, way back uh, 27 years ago is when we first mar- mar- met Mark and Susan. And I think he talked a little bit about hope and played some rock and roll music or, or something. So we're so thankful for them. But today we're going to continue that conversation. We're going to talk about Abraham. Or before he got a little bit of a name change, Abram. And so uh, we're going to look at chapter 11 of Hebrews and we're going to look at Abram today. So why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11. And we're also going to read from a little bit of Genesis because we got to get the full picture here. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 8. Say amen if you're ready. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Then we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12. This is actually the story of him being called by God to move to another place. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all you and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took his wife, Sarai and his lot, his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land in a place called Shechem to the Oak of Morah. And and at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still going toward the Negev. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, it would be a waste of time if we came here and didn't let it change us. So we pray it does that, Lord. This word from you can change us today. Do it. Make us different than when we came. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. It's always good to go back when you read something in the New Testament and it refers to an Old Testament person and then go back to the story in the Old Testament and find out what happened. Abram was 75 years old and he lived in his family's land uh, up until this point where he has an interaction with God where God says, hey, move to a land that I will show you. 
I don't know about you, but I like picking the lot out myself. Anybody else? Anybody ever moved and the realtor went, nah, just sell your house. I'll show you what it is when you get here. He says, leave the place where you're from, take you and your family and go to a land that I will show you. And he starts making Abram these promises. Now, now you, if you don't understand the whole story, it said Abram was 75 years old when he left and you, and you might start thinking, oh my gosh, he's an old man. Seven, now I just offended some of you in the building, settle down. You're like 75 ain't old. Well, in this context, 75 wasn't old because Abraham lived to be 175. And so he's not even really the middle aged yet. So I just want to put that in context because if, because you might get this idea in your head that God takes the elderly and forces them to move. (laughs) Which I'm not saying he won't do that to you, but I'm just saying it's not this story. Moses was a little older. Uh, when, when he started his real ministry, but that's not the case here. So it says, he tells him, go to a land that I will show you. He's going to give him the land. And, and through the story of Abraham, you'll start to realize that God makes these promises to Abraham and says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the heaven, the sand on the seashore, basically uncountable. I'm going to give you so many descendants, you can't count them. And the problem was at this time, he didn't have any kids. He's middle-aged with no kids. And he would get even older as we go and still have no children. And this promise would come back up. So what we see in the life of Abraham is that God is making him these promises, but he's not giving him a lot of detail about how the promises will work out. Anybody familiar with that? So he tells Abram, 75 years old, I'm going to show you where I want you to go. And this is a, a relationship we're looking at between hope and faith. We're going to stay on this for, for weeks about, we, we need to drive home the idea of how faith happens in our life. is isn't just because you, you go, oh, I got to do it. It's because there is something in front of you worth having faith for. Amen. So there's a relationship between hope and faith. And now Hebrews chapter 11 is focusing on the life of Abraham. If you didn't know this, he's the founding patriarch of the Jewish community. The atrocities that you see going on in, in Israel today, Abraham was the beginning of that promise for them to have the land. And And they have been fighting for that land ever since they got there. This is the promise that God makes to Abraham that results in the nation of Israel. And he actually, we just read that he promises that through the Jewish people, all mankind will be blessed. God said, I will bless all people through you. And so we find out Jesus, later on, Jesus was Jewish. He came from Israel. And so through Jesus, the Messiah, all people are blessed. And and there's no way Abraham could have known that. Here's a childless, middle-aged man. And God is going, hey, I want you to move from here to someplace I will show you. And I'm going to bless everybody through you. And he's going, okay. Okay, we're going to figure this out. 
We're going to see what happens. And now on our end of the deal, we can find out, wow, that was unbelievable how that worked out. That was amazing how that worked out through Christ. I just said when we were praying, the Bible teaches us that in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So what happens is him and his wife are childless and God had come to Abram. His name is Abram at this time. He becomes Abraham later and instructed him to leave his country, Haran, and go to a place that God would show him. And through that move, God would keep this unbelievable promise. He said, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And God ends up covenanting with Abraham and promising that a descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Okay. So I preached this a little bit last week in Concord when it came to Noah. You do realize who makes the promise to you is important, right? There, there, there are some good reasons to doubt some people that promise you things. Is that true? When your four-year-old walks up to you and it goes, I, I promise I'll never do it again. That promise is good for like three minutes, isn't it? Everybody has experienced adults promising them things that they didn't come through. Maybe in a relationship or maybe in a business deal or maybe your boss promised you something and then, and then six months later the raise never came. We all have these experiences in life where people promise us things and then they don't come to fruition. The bad part about that is that is our ongoing relationship with each other. That's how it ends up playing out a lot, a lot of times. And because of that, we get nervous about the promises God makes us. Can we just be honest? If we haven't had a good experience on earth with people keeping their promise to us, then when we read about God making a promise to us, we're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it seems so far-fetched. Like, you want me to just leave my home and move to some place you're going to show me? How do I know? You're going to turn me into a great nation? We don't have kids. How are we going to do all this? And so we start basing our decision-making on our past experience, on our most recent experience, and God makes a promise, or we read a promise in the Bible, and we go, I don't know if that could be true. It is extremely important that we consider who is making the promise. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and, to, and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's a promise. That's a giant promise. That's a generational promise. That's a forever promise. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is more extreme than any promise you've ever been made. And then we find from Hebrews chapter 6 how God made the promise. It says in chapter six, verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Uh, we talked about this a couple months ago in a, on a Sunday morning where, um, you know, when, when politicians, uh, there you go. When politicians 
get elected, they put their hand on the Bible. At least traditionally, that's the way it's done. Put your hand on the Bible and you swear on the Bible because the, because the Bible is greater than the person swearing on it, right? Some of you will say, I swear on my mother's. Don't do that. Uh, but, but, but that, that thing became, you don't swear on a Dr. Seuss book. You don't swear on green eggs and ham, swear on green eggs and ham. This is true. You don't do that. No, you put your hand on something greater than who you are or even the institution you're committing to. Do you understand what I'm saying? When, when you're, when you go in front of a court and you have to make a, you have to, you have to, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing else, Right? You're not swearing on yourself. You're swearing on something greater than you. So Hebrews chapter six says, God made a promise to Abraham. And when he looked around, what's God lay his hand on? The writer of Hebrews says he looked around and there wasn't anyone greater to swear by. So he swore by himself. It said, I will keep the promise to you. And you don't, you don't need any other indication but the fact that I said I would keep it. There, there needs to be no outside co- co- cooperation on this. There doesn't mean, I don't need the testimony of other people. I'm, I'm enough in and of myself to keep the promise. Now, this flies in the face about how we, we work deals here. And this is important. Listen, when we work a deal, we, there's always two sides of the deal, right? There's... The reason we shake hands is because we're agreeing that you keep your part and I'm keeping my part. True? Like we're going to keep, but if you break your part, I can take you to court. Is that true? Yeah, I can, I can sue you because you didn't keep your part. Here's the thing. God always keeps his part. Matter of fact, God keeps his part and your part. Boy, I wish I could enter into more deals like that here. Like, we'll shake hands and you keep your part and my part. This will be awesome. But that's the way God does things because God already knows <laughs> that you can't keep your part. How many have been perfect at keeping their promises to God? Anybody in the room? Just, oh. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Do you remember when you were a teenager going, Lord, Lord, just let me go out a date with her. I'll serve you forever. How'd that work out for you? Lord, let me get this job. I'll quit messing around if you let me get this job. Lord, let me do this. I'll quit. How long did it last? So we find out that we're, we're inept at keeping our promises. So when God makes a covenant to us, like, like he did Noah, like he did Abraham, when he makes those covenants to mankind, he's not counting on mankind to keep their promise. He's saying, I can keep both sides of the promise. I can keep my side and I can keep you. And so we have to think differently. We can't look at the promise God made us like the promise men make us. We can't think like that because if we do, we'll be slow to react. We'll be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know about this. I don't know about God making me a promise. Lord, you know, you know, people have promised me in the past. It matters who's making it. What we find out is that Abraham was not perfect. You should go back and read the story of Abraham. 
He was the founding patriarch of the nation of Israel, but he also went to Egypt and lied his face off about his wife. Almost got him in a whole ton of trouble. He goes to other place and lies about his wife. His wife must have been very nice looking because he kept lying about her saying he was, she was his sister. Now I think that's weird, but go back and read it. He was afraid that the, that the king of wherever he went into would steal his wife from him. So he'd say, no, 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 this is my sister. And you know, don't mess with her. And what would happen is that they would find out and their curse would come on the, on the, on the household because she would go to the king's house and, and then they would find out at the end, like, why didn't you tell me it was your wife? I don't know. I was got nervous and lied. And then his son does the same thing. This is weird. You have to go back and read it. We found out that Abraham's uh, son, Isaac does the exact same thing. We find out that Abraham, when God promises him and his wife, Sarah, at an old age, she was past the age of childbirth, a, a son, they take matters in their own hand and they say, Hey, Abraham, we'll talk about this later. Hey, Abraham, why don't you just sleep with the servant? And, and we'll figure it out on our own. So what does he do? God, my wife told me to. So Abraham wasn't perfect. But there was something that did separate Abraham from a lot of people that walked the face of the earth. He believed. And, and what I need you to understand this morning is that when the promise is made, when the promise is made and you understand who's promising it, then the next step is to believe the one who's promising it. Okay. Because if there's a promise out in front of me and I don't believe it, it's no good to me. It's just no good. If there's, if there's hope for me out in front and I don't believe it, then what good is it to me? So can I, can I, can I put it to you like this? If you're in a difficult circumstance today, you walked in here this morning and, and all hell's broken loose and your life is falling apart. And I say, man, there's hope in the future. And you don't believe me. What good is that to you? I say, man, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And you go, I can't see it. Hey, God has a purpose for you in your life. Hey, there's there. Trust me when I tell you this, this won't be the end. You keep, keep trusting. If you don't believe that it doesn't benefit you. It's, it's not it, it, it can't benefit you if you don't believe it. And what happens is when you hear the description of what Abraham did, it wasn't that he moved, that he was counted righteous. It was that he believed. So that, that kind of hymns us up a little bit too, because can I be transparent with you? I'm an, I'm an action type person. I think, I think I'm more righteous because I do more things. That's not good. That's not good Bible. I'm just telling you, that's the way my brain works. And so I'm constantly fighting the idea that, Lord, look, look what I accomplished. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did, Lord. And, and God's like, mm -hmm. there you go. Trying to save yourself again, Chris. There you go. Trying to do good things and trying to save yourself. Come on. What did I tell you? Didn't you read? Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, all right. Who makes the promise is important. As followers of Christ, we have to understand that the promises God makes 
are not kept by us, but by him. Can I get you off the roller coaster right now for a second? Can, how many people feel like their faith sometimes is on a roller coaster? Can I get you off of it? I'm going to, I'm going to be the guy with the headset and we're just like, we're going to, I'm going to hit the button and stop the roller coaster. Watch this. If your relationship with God is based on you keeping all the promises, you will be up when you do and down when you don't. Mm. I read my Bible today, Lord, and I didn't cuss. Whew, look at me. Mm. I'm killing it, man. Bring me a dead guy. I'll raise him from the dead. <laughs> Just bring, bring him. That's the way we think, don't we? That's the way we think. Lord, I, I read my Bible four days in a row. It was only one verse, but hey, I'm here. Actually, I didn't even read it. It was just come up on my phone. I was like, oh, this is a verse of the day. I got it. And I went, Lord, thank you for that verse. I prayed and read my Bible today. And I didn't, I didn't yell at anybody at work. I got to work on time. That's godly. I didn't. Lord, I only drank four cups of coffee. Like, I know it's a sin to drink five. And we think, we think we're on the top of the mountain. Like, I'm so, oh man, God's so proud of me right now. God's so, oh, this is awesome. Look at me. I'm keeping my commitment to him. I promised at the beginning of the year, I would read the Bible every day. And the first, first two weeks, I kept it. And look at my life. And then the third week, you don't. And in your mind, now you're clawing yourself out of the pit of hell because you failed. And you're going, it was so awesome last week when I kept the promise. It was so awesome last week when I kept my side of it. And God was so proud of me. And it was so amazing. And it was so unbelievable. And now I'm a failure. Uh, You have to say amen. Maybe I'm just talking to myself. I need you to understand something about the promises God makes us. 90% of them are impossible for you to even make happen. I want you to think about this. Abraham was moving his wife, his, his nephew, and, and all of his things to a land that he, that he didn't even know he was going. And God promised to make him into a great nation that through him would bless all people. Now, some of you are very strategic in your job and in your career. And you sit down, you strategize things. Could any of you give me a strategy for that? Let's meet after church and take a middle-aged guy that's childless, that has no standing in the community or or in the world for that matter. um, And and let's sit down and strategize a 10-step plan for him to become the blessing to all nations. Some of you are like, oh, that's easy. We'll get him a TikTok account. That's how we'll do it. (laughs) Think about the promise. Think about the promise. Move to a place I will show you, and I'll turn you into a great nation that will bless all people, and your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Think about the promise he makes to you today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's strategize that. Ten steps to have an everlasting life. Starts with a TikTok account. How about peace that passes all understanding? How do you strategize that? You can't. 
You can't. Why? Because it passes your understanding. The very definition of the promise means we can't conceptualize it. The promise of heaven is past what has entered into a mind of a man. It is beyond our earthly comprehension. So God is making these promises that you can't five point strategize. You can't come up with a way to, to accomplish them. And so what we do is we go from, I'm doing everything right and God's so pleased with me and this is exciting and I'm keeping the promise to now I'm not and I failed and the promise is not true. So that's why God says, I'm not, I'm not counting on you. I'm counting on me. I'll keep the promise myself because I know you're going to be up one day and down the next. If God needed you to be perfect, he would have included that in the promise. So here we are. The one who promises is true. Look at your neighbor and say, he's true. He's true. The promises were clear. He says, I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will, you, I will curse In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These are promises he's made him early on. So Abraham had these assurances from God of what he could expect. God would direct him. God would bless him. God would make him a blessing. God would deal with his enemies. Those were all promises he made Abraham. Abraham couldn't keep any of those. Those were promises God kept Abraham. And what happened was Abraham had an absolute belief that God would do what he promised. Chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 4. Here's how we know he believed. It is this really short, definitive sentence. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. That's it. One day, he just got up with his family, and when it's time, we're moving. We're moving. With every promise, there's a choice. Abraham was faced with the same type of decision everyone after him would be faced with. Is the promise true, and do I move? Is the promise true, and do I move? We wake up every day and have that choice. Is the promise true, and do I move? promised me eternal life. What do I do about that? He promised me hope. What do I do about that? He promised me, he promised me peace. What do I do about that? He promised, he promised. Now what do I do about that? Is the promise true? And do I move? The writer of Hebrews describes Abraham move this way in Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city of his foundations and whose designer and builder was God. Faith in God and hope of his promise caused Abraham to move. So Abraham was not keeping a promise. He was moving towards the promise. I I need you to understand this. This is the choice we're making. 
the first choice is not whether to move or not. Some of you, some of you need to back off. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm a preacher to myself and you guys can stick in for the conversation. Okay. The first choice is not a choice of movement. And that's always my first thing. Is it true? Um, as soon as we pull up, I'm just getting out of the car. And I'm looking around and everybody else in the car, like, why aren't you getting out? It's time to get out. We stopped. It's time to get out of the car. When we're on vacation, we get out of the car and I can tell you what order when my kids were younger, I can tell you what order everybody was getting out of the car. And I'm like, I believe we are here and it is time to get out. Okay. So my mind works that, that, that action is the most important thing. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's the way I'm wired. Action is the most important. Move, 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 move. Come on. We got to get, so it's not that I don't like people. I just like walking out front of everybody because there's less traffic when I'm out in front of everybody. Everybody understand that? Anybody else in the house like me? It's like, why do you guys want to walk in a crowded group like a herd? You're stepping all over everybody. I just want to be out front where the air's clear. And so I'm, I'm just made up that way. And God has to tell me sometimes, Chris, you're moving without belief. You're not even sure what you believe. You're just out there going, I'm in front. Go this way. So you got to back up and you got to realize that Abraham believed the one who promised him. Because here's what I could do. You call it getting out on the end of your skis. That's a dangerous place to be. When you're skiing and all of a sudden you're whoa, way out on the tips and you're trying to figure out, um, I don't know what to do now. And sometimes my faith oriented, my action oriented lifestyle has caused me to get out past what I believe. And that's dangerous. Because now if I fail, I don't know what to do. I'm out past my belief. I'm out past where I'm confident, I'm out past Lord. Lord, I will. So the writer of Hebrews says he believed in the one who promised. And because of that belief, then he moved. So when those need to be in order, I'm telling you those need to be in order. Listen, for your family's sake, those need to be in order. When you're going to convince them to move from the place that they're used to, to move from the traditions they may be used to, to move from the, uh, from the daily routine that they're used to. Dad, why are we getting up and doing this? Why are we, why are you all of a sudden want to read the Bible? Why do you all of a sudden want to pray? Well, why can't we just eat food? Why do you got to pray over it? I see people eat the same food and they're fine. No, I've been on some mission trips. So I'm praying over everything. I'm praying over the bottled water, but here you're like, dad, why are we, uh, because we believe the promise. We believe first that God is true. The best thing you could teach your family is that God is true. If you teach them to move before God is true, they will make a lot of mistakes that are unnecessary. They'll be trusting in themselves. The first thing we teach people is that God is true and every promise he's made is true. The second thing we teach is movement. The first choice is to believe or not. Now watch this. Hope causes us to act 
in uncertainty. So watch this. We believe now his promise is true. Jesus died on the cross, rose again to redeem me, to set me free, to forgive me of my sins. And that is true. Say amen. That is true. You can be forgiven of your sins this morning, totally wiped away the the guilt lifted from you. You can be free today in Christ. That is a true promise. I believe it. I believe it. He promised me eternal life. He promised me peace. He promised he would supply. He promised, 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 promised. And I believe all of them. Amen. I believe them to be true. So now, because I believe them, because he will keep them. Did you hear me? Because he will keep them. Now, faith is me moving towards that promise. Remember, we're not keeping the promise. We're moving towards the promise because, because I can't design being a blessing to all nations. I can't design that. I can't design eternal life. I can't design heaven. I can't do any of that stuff. I can't say, hey, God, I'm going to partner with you to make heaven a really cool place. Like, if you sit down with me, I'm going to be praying about it. And we're going to sit down and we're going to, you know, we're going to strategize some cool things in heaven. Because I've been talking to some friends and we've got a consensus of what it would be nice in heaven. Like, we've been to the beach, Lord. We know what's nice. But that's not the way it works. We're not in partnership with God for the promise. We're recipients of the promise. Mm. can I say this? I don't want to go to a heaven you designed. It will not be impressive. I don't want a promise that I was involved in. Do you ever think about that? I don't want to partner with God. I want to be a recipient of what he's promised because whatever he's promised me is better than what I can come up with myself. I believe that. And so here's what happens. It says Abraham believed and then he moved. Where did he move to? He didn't know. It said, go to a land that I will show you. So do you know what happened for the rest of Abraham's life? He lived in tents. He was a nomad. He was a guy moving around. He ended up in Egypt. He ended up all over the place. He ended up in Canaan, where the Canaanites were. He ended up all over the place. He, 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 it, it's, it's kind of similar to what we experience now. And, and, and yet it's more frustrating to us, it seems. <laughs> Abraham had frustrating periods of his life, but he seemed to be able to embrace the nomadic lifestyle. I'm not from here, but this is the promise. I'm not, I'm not around here. You're not my people. And, and I'm okay with that because God told me to move towards the promise. And I have to believe at some point in time, Abraham probably figured out like, um, yeah, this ain't going to happen in my lifetime. That's an important distinguisher right there. The church is very short-sighted. Can I just say that? The modern-day church is very short-sighted. We like, we're like, God, eternal life, peace, I want it today. 
I want heaven on earth. I want it all right now. Tell us when it's going to happen. Make it happen. I don't want to wait. We need it right now. I got Amazon. If you don't come through, I'll prime that thing the next day. That's the way we live. Do you realize it wasn't until the children of Israel left Egypt and wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years and then finally entered into the promised land that Abraham's promise came to fruition? What if you're, what if you're 70 years old in here and God made a promise to your family that will, that will not be known until another generation comes along? Is it still true? Is it still true? What, what, if, what if I end up dying to find out that the promise is true? To find out that God will resurrect this body? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if I don't see the promise tomorrow? Now, I need you to understand this. The band's going to come up. We're going to end with this. If we think this way, we're not, we're not weird. We're human. And, I, and I'll show you what I mean here in a second. But here's what I need to convince you of this morning. That faith is simply moving towards the promise. That's it. Look at your neighbor and say, I just got to keep moving towards it. Just tell him, I just keep moving towards it. I just keep moving towards it. So we've, we've debunked the idea that you're keeping part of the promise we're all we're off the roller coaster of highs one day, lows the next. We're off the roller coaster. Now, the simple decision to believe that the promise is true, that eternal life is true, that forgiveness is true, that peace is true, that all these things are true. The simple idea that we're going to believe that the promises of God are true. And then the next step, what faith is, is simply moving towards that saying, I believe it to be true, even though I can't see it yet. And so the substance of me not being able to see it yet is me moving towards it. So it's like, it's like, I remember when Beth and I, uh, I first asked her out three, four times, three times. Okay. I believed something to be true. I believed at the, at the, um, at the store we both worked at, a uh, retail store we both worked at, I believed that if I put on more cologne, that was, a, I believed that, didn't I? I was like, I was like in Jesus name. So, so I remember, you know, the samples I worked there, I thought the samples were for employees. And so I would go in and I don't know what it was back then, but I was just like, like an aerosol can. And they said, when Chris walked in, they go, Chris is in the building. And I believed that she wanted to be with me. Are you following me? And by faith, I moved towards her. Did you see what happened? By faith, I went, hey. What are you doing tonight? I was so awkward. It was, it's cute. And then she said, no. And I said, by faith, I believe. Hey, remember when you turned me down last time? I'm back. And I still believe. 
Okay. First of all, God's never going to reject you. Get that out of the way. It's as simple as going, God, I believe your promises are true. And those promises don't count on me. Figuring them out. They don't count on me making them happen. They don't count on me strategizing. They don't count on me. All they count on me doing is going, God, I'm moving towards it. I'm moving towards it. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, and you're saying, Chris, I believe that he can forgive me. So the first, so you would say, I, so I'm going to move towards Lord, forgive me. That's a simple step of faith to move towards the promise. Lord, I believe today you can give me eternal life and you can forgive me of my sins. So how do I step into that? One little, I don't know what's coming next. You're Abraham. I don't know where he's going to, I don't know what's going to happen after this. All I know is the first step is forgive me of my sins. I believe your word is true. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. I believe you can forgive me of my sins. I believe I inherit eternal life. I believe it. And so I'm taking one step forward. I ain't making any big grand promises, Lord. I'm taking one step. I'm going I'm to I'm put the tent in the back of the car and I'm going to start moving towards you. I'm going to start moving towards you. There's a whole lot of unsurety in that, I know. The disciples experienced this. At the beginning of Acts, Jesus had died and resurrected defeated death, hell in the grave, and he's standing in front of them and, and he's getting ready to ascend into heaven and, and they got all kinds of questions. But the revealing question that they had was this. Is it going to happen now, Lord? Is the promise going to be true now? Are you going to come into your kingdom now? Are we going to set it up now, Lord? Are we going to be in charge now? while he was staying with them he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you heard from me for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and not many days from now so when they came when they had come together they asked him Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel come on are we going to do this this is a good plan He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. You know what he just told them? Go, I'll show you what it is on the way. I'll show you. It's the same message to Abraham. Move to a land that I will show you. He's doing the same thing in Acts. Hey, is it now? Are we here? Are you going to do it? Come on, we want to set this thing up. We already picked the road. We already picked the places. He says, it's not for that. That's not, I'm not telling you. It's not for me to give you that information, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So what did the disciples do? He ascended in front of them and they went, we don't know what's going to happen, but let's move towards that promise. And what they do? They just waited in Jerusalem. We just waited in Jerusalem. Now, if you're a long-term planner, I'm sorry. But a lot of faith is this. I know what he promised me and I'm going to take one more step towards that. That's it. I know what he promised me and I'm going to take one more step towards that. And if I fail today, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and take one more step towards that. And if I have a good day today, I'm going to take one more step. And if I I don't even know, if I can't muster up enough, I'm going to just take one more step. That's all he's asking us to do today. Believe that he who promised is true and take one step towards him. That's, that's what he's asked us. That is faith. 
That's what Abraham did in the middle of unsurety. He said, I don't know. I believe him. Let's take, let's start walking. It's not complicated. You don't have to overthink it. Just walk towards him. Walk towards the promise. Amen. Stand to your feet. It's human to want to know when. It's faith when we move when the time frame is unclear. Your responsibility is to move towards the promise. Move towards the hope we have. Move towards what he's guaranteed us. That's all we're supposed to do as a church. To believe he's true and move towards him. Father, we ask you that this morning. In every circumstance represented here in the building, Lord, I pray that we pick our heads up from it. From the pressure of today. From the weight of today. From the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Lord, if we look up to your promise. We'd look up to the promise. Lord, I thank you that you've taken the weight of, off of us. And Lord, you've simply asked us to move towards it. Not to make it happen, but move towards it. And so, Lord, I ask for enough strength today to take that first step. Lord, enough strength to take the next step. Lord, just enough enough to step into your promise day after day after day after day and be counted as faithful, Lord, that we would be righteous because we believed it to be true. We thank you for that promise this morning, Lord. And we're moving. We're moving today, God, in that direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church, can you give him praise this morning? He's good. Hey, listen, take a step today. Take a step towards the promise. And he'll be there every step of the way. We'll see you back here next week.